Hello, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is T.R. Kidder. He is an archaeologist, geologist, and environmental scientist in the Department of Anthropology at Washington University in St. Louis. His research explores how climate change has affected humans and shapes human history. Well, welcome, T.R. Thank you, Mitch. How are you? I am so good. Thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure. It's a great day today. It's a beautiful day outside, so... I totally agree. We have awesome weather right now happening. So tell me, I mean, all these things. Okay, archaeologists, geologists, environmental scientists. What does your day look like? Well, you know, Mitch, one of the great things about my job is I get to paid to play in the dirt, basically. Oh, awesome. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing job. So I, uh, I I grew up always interested in the past and, and trying to understand how people fit together and sort of what makes our story. How, how is it we are who we are today? And um, being an archaeologist is great. First of all, I get to play in the dirt. And, you know, in that sense, I'm fulfilling a lifetime's sort of child's dream of, <laughs> of, of, of doing work. Um, I, I get to work on these really interesting multidimensional puzzles. So I'm looking at the past, the present. I'm looking at scientific data. I'm looking at really human information. I get to travel to marvelous places. I meet all sorts of interesting people. And, you know, it's just great for Fun. And, and I teach at a wonderful university, and I have great students, and it keeps me young and, and excited. Oh, yeah. You, so you, you sound passionate about oh, what I you do. Oh, I love what I do. I mean, really seriously. I mean, first of all, I know that there are other jobs which involve real work. I don't do real work. <laughs> I, I have fun work. You Your know? work is play. I, my work is play. You know, I do what I love, and I love what I do, and I'm very, very lucky in that. But in that play, you have, I'm sure, discovered some very interesting things and you study various things that can really, uh, I believe, talk to humans about who we are and our place in this world. So tell us some of the cool things you've found and enlighten us. Well, right now, for instance, I'm working in China and the basic issue I'm looking at is how did people change the world and how did the world change them? And so what we've been doing is over looking literally at 10,000 years of human history in China. And what, what we're finding is, surprisingly enough, that people actually change the world in really significant ways. So let me give you an example. Um, beginning around 8,000 years ago, people were beginning to have enough of an effect in the world that they're actually changing CO2 levels in the atmosphere. Right. By 5,000 years ago, we can see methane is increasing because of agriculture, land clearance, um, uh, new animals, you know, domesticated animals. And what we're starting to see from our geological work is people are actually literally sort of intervening in the geological world. Um, they're shaping the rivers of North China. So the Yellow River of China, it's like the seventh largest river in the world. By between 5,000 and 3,000 years ago, human beings become the geological agent. They actually control the river so that they can control where it goes. But what's happening is, is that they're creating this increasingly rigid world where literally like the river is bounded by walls, levees oh, to keep gotcha. floods out. Okay. And what we're seeing is, of course, this rigidity works for a while. And then 
we see collapse because what happens is, is literally when those walls break, floods happen and catastrophe takes over. So we're trying to sort of understand how this human intervention plays out both in the ancient world, but also thinking about what does it mean for the modern world? Where, say here in St. Louis, we're building our levees higher and higher, we're creating more risk, we're having a much more rigid environmental response, and the fear, the concern, the lesson we want to think about is what is the implication for this? Right. So, as human beings, we're trying to control Mother Earth, yeah. which in the end, she pretty much gets her way most of the time. Most of it <laughs> in the end. And it's, you know, there's a, there's this sort of scale issue. And, and the way I, I, I think about it, so the ancient Chinese had this sort of di- dialogue between Confucians and, and Taoists. Okay. And the Confucians were very much about kind of controlling nature. The Taoists were very much about sort of working with nature. And the interesting thing is, is that in the end, the Confucians won and civilization lost. That is, by trying to sort of over-control nature, basically what you see is that there is this sort of rigid response that eventually has to break. Like you say, nature right. nature is going to win out in some way, right? right? And I always tell my students, I tell anyone, you know, if you get long odds, always go with nature. Go with gravity because the physical forces that are going to lead to flooding and catastrophe are always going to be there. Exactly. It's never a matter of if something is going to happen. It's always a matter of when and how badly or how much. So what would you say to someone like myself? I... I I am probably a big rival of nature. I'm fine with climate-controlled areas. (laughs) I'm fine with, you know, I like pretty views of nature, but I have no desire to, like, camping sounds like a bad idea to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and my joke is, well, I, I... came to earth at this time because then I don't have to be so much into nature (laughs) and rely on it for things. I go to the grocery store and I buy my food. What would you say to a person like me? Do you have guidance for for the non-nature type people? Well, to me, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of on an individual scale. I mean, if you choose to go camping or live in an air-conditioned house, that's not the issue I think we're dealing with. But say in the greater St. Louis area, one of the, the concerns we have is, you know, we live with two major rivers, the Missouri and the Mississippi River. And the question ultimately becomes, are we going to live with them or are we going to live against them? Because as I say, it's not a matter of if the Mississippi or Missouri is going to flood again. It's just a matter of when. So, for instance, do we build walls higher and higher and higher and try to to keep the problem from happening? Or, for instance, do we set back the levees and let water flow wider? Or do we do things like pay people to accept some of the loss. So one thing you could say is to people who live in floodplains is let's either buy you out, let's raise your house, or let's just accept that you're going to get flooded. So instead of spending all that money on levees, let's just give you a subsidy for that. It sounds kind of crazy, but when you think about the actual cost of building and maintaining these levees and all of the the problems we have, um, 
it's probably cheaper. And one of the things that we're all facing right now is this issue of climate change. Right. And so we're facing bigger rainstorms, more intense rainstorms. Our infrastructure, which was designed for sort of a mid-20th century climate, is now being overwhelmed. And this is true in New York for Hurricane Sandy, Katrina for or New Orleans for Katrina, um, St. Louis in late December and early January of this year. We had these massive rains, right. which were real departures, but they're going to be the new normal. Uh, so I'm not crazy. The weather has definitely oh, changed absolutely. so much since I, mean, I, since I was a kid. You know, and and you know, I was used to a certain pattern of weather, and I feel like now I'm like, it's just not what it was. You you have no, I mean. I still live as a kid in many ways with weather. So in March, when I think we're spring and it's still freezing, it drives me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, it's good to know I'm not crazy, but that's very interesting. So it is us human beings. We are creating all of these changes we see in our weather patterns. We, we are we are creating the context for weather to be changing in the okay. sense that we're adding CO2 and other greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. We're warming the earth overall. We're creating these feedback systems where, for instance, more ice is melting. The more ice that melts in the, in the Arctic, for instance, the more heat the earth absor- absorbs, the more heat the earth absorbs, the more ice melts. We're, we're, we're creating these contexts. And the challenge challenges is that we don't know um, what the effects are going to be because they're not always easily predictable. Right. But certainly more intense storms, more intense rainfall, um, probably shifting generalized climate patterns, changes in when spring or fall sets in, things like that. Yeah. So interesting. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with T.R. Kidder in just a moment. Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and I'm the owner of 100th Monkey Media. 100th Monkey Media specializes in affordable and very effective social media solutions for the small to medium-sized business. Our goal is to create a social media presence that shows off who you are, what you do, and delivers brand loyalty and raving fans. Contact us today to learn what 100th Monkey Media can do for you. 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. That's 636-789-1776 or 100thmm.com. And we are back with T.R. Kidder. So is this going to be the subject of your TEDx talk coming up? Yes. So I'm basically going to reflect on what we might be able to learn about modern climate change from looking at the past and particularly talking about my work in China. And you were talking about, um, you know, with your students, that balance of terrifying them, but also giving them hope. What What's the hope? Well, my sense about the hope is, is first of all, certainly here in the United States, but even elsewhere, I think that the, the big hope is that there's a bottom-up movement, mm-hmm. which is simply to say that I don't think people can rely on governments to, to do everything anymore. And, and what we have to do is start to figure out adaptation or adaptive methods. So there's really, when it comes to climate, 
climate change two approaches. There's mitigation, which is let's stop the processes, versus adaptation, let's learn to live with them. And mitigation is things like what happened in Paris this summer, trying to, you know, get big agreements to stop, you know, some of these global climate changes. The problem is, is that we have roughly two degrees Celsius, which is about 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit of warming built into the environment already. We've literally created that situation. Even if we just stopped emitting all greenhouse gases and things like that, it wouldn't, that that's there, whether we like it or not. So what it really means is we have to learn to adapt to these sorts of situations. And it means we're going to do it at small scales. It means anything from as trivial as a rain garden in someone's backyard to a local community doing things like planting um, uh, more grass, maybe changing, uh, you know, uh, certain zoning regulations, maybe trying to uh, buy people out of floodplain habitats. It's going to be a lot of different things. But I see this happening around the world. I see it in China in things that are as little as municipalities now are really trying to create ways to keep pollution down. They're they're actually buying into new um, um, emissions guidelines and they're not skirting these regulations anymore. Oh, um, good. It's, it's, you know, China, as an example, is the largest uh, producer and consumer of renewable energies in the world. Right. And, you know, they're burning way more coal than we would want. But on the other hand, as a nation, as individuals, as communities, they're actually trying to respond and adapt to these changes because the changes are real. Right. And that's the thing. They happen. We're going to respond or or we're going to suffer. And suffering is a response of its own way, right? Exactly. It's, it's a weird adaptation, but, <laughs> but one that can that it, happen. It, it will ignite the, the flames to get something done when you're suffering. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So I know you shared with me that you just came back from Australia, but where are some of the other places that, you know, what did you do in Australia and where are other places in the world that you've been that you love to be and study and learn and then teach the rest of us what the heck is going on. <laughs> well, I was in Australia just for a conference and it was it was way too short. It's a seems like a lovely place. I, I now need to get back to, to <laughs> so Australia. So you can actually see Australia, right, exactly, not the hotel. <laughs> right. um, uh, so, so, you know, I actually grew up doing work in the Mississippi Valley and, and particularly Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas. Um, the, the Mississippi Delta, say south of New Orleans, is one of the most enchanting worlds I've ever been in. It's this kind of zone between land and sea where where the world is undergoing this sort of constant transformation and trying to figure out using archaeological and other methods how did people adapt to this what did they do what were the what were the strategies that allowed them to cope with these sorts of changes altogether um, uh, another place I've been recently which was absolutely fascinating with the mountains of Uzbekistan and doing archaeological work oh, looking at the, there's a medieval community that develops and and so for 5,000 years, there's like nobody living intensively on this landscape. Lots of people, you know, doing like sheep farming and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Very, very low intensity occupation. Then suddenly around 950 AD to about 1050 AD for a very short period of time, they start building cities in this area. And it's a very fragile environment. So we're trying to think about 
What does this do to the environment? What happens when suddenly you put a whole lot of people in an area that is not really designed naturally to sustain large human populations? Right. What does that do to the environment? And of course, then what does that do? You know, what do these environmental changes do to people? Right. And, and how do these connect to large scale events? In Las Vegas, it makes them gamble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know. But you know, that's an example, right? It was there was nothing there, and now there's this huge city. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. And I and I look at that and think, and it's so odd because it's like nothing, and then boom, here's a city. You know. And and so when we decide, well, there's a big place. Let's fill it up with everything. Maybe we should call you first. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I I'm I'm not a planner. I, I I'm I'm the retrospective guy. I'm the I guy gotcha. who's going to come in in a thousand years and go, why in gosh name did Americans <laughs> build these crazy places in places nobody's saying would ever, you know, the Phoenix Basin, Las Vegas, places like that. These aren't places. Where without technology, without certain adaptive strategies, people would be able to to be. Got so, you. So, yeah. so, and it's really the, the the idea from from my work, which I th- you know I I love doing archaeology. I can't think of doing anything better or more interesting. But it's also about things that are dead, have been dead, will stay dead. So my job is to think, how do we translate this into an understanding about the modern world and thinking about the future? And and that's the real challenge of what we're doing is trying to figure out what sorts of lessons we can learn. Um, how do we translate this? Because everybody learns or takes lessons from the past, right? Right. It's all we can ever do is, you know, the only way we understand the world is by what we have, where we've been, right? So everybody takes lessons from the past. So my job is to help us think about what are those lessons? What are the, what are the right lessons? What are the wrong lessons? How have people been successful and how have people failed? And unfortunately, failure is the kind of most common mode. It, I, I, but it yeah. doesn't mean it has to be, right? Right. That's the challenge. You know, we, don't, we are not doomed to repeat history. Despite what everyone says, even though we keep we we, we do it, we we, do we it. keep doing it. It is it is interesting. I mean, I I when I was in school, that was one of my things about history. I didn't enjoy history class because I felt like, and then there was a war, and then these, and then there was a war, <laughs> yeah. and, and then there was another war, and I and I remember at one point as a young person thinking. Oh my word! I mean, we couldn't figure out how not to have a damn war, you know. And it's it's frustrating. But I like something you said in the beginning about that maybe we need to realize that we cannot rely on the government, the governmental systems. You know, that we ourselves as people have to say, all right, we need to we need to figure this out. And I think so. I, I, I don't think it means that there isn't a role for governments and sort of larger well, of scale course. organizations, but really where change is going to always come from is, is is really from the bottom up. And particularly in a, in a modern world where we have digital opportunities and social media and, and, and just as importantly, unlike say, you know, I worked say 2000 years ago, they didn't have this kind of knowledge. We have the knowledge now. We have the ways to transmit it. We have the ways to act on these sorts of things. And while it's a turbulent time, and I understand that many people are sort of afraid of the future because it's a scary thing. On the other hand, we have a remarkable power. And one of the great things about being an archaeologist that I just absolutely love is I get to stand sort of on top of two million years of human history and look back and realize – 
man, it has been much worse <laughs> at a different time. Right. Today isn't as bad as people think it is. And it could, you know, it has been worse. And we have been able to overcome way worse odds in human history. So, I, I, you know, I'm a perpetual optimist in this regard. I love it. I love it. Thank you. That is like one of the best things I've heard all week. Good. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> all right. So two million years, people. It's not been, It's not as bad as we think right now. Absolutely. So we're going to take another break. We'll be back with T.R. Kidder. This is Mickey Hancock. Now's a good time to get a snack. My mom's going to do another commercial. If you're looking for an agency to help you with creating and publishing engaging content, launching campaigns, or reputation management, 100th Monkey Media is the social media agency for you. Make your business successful with its social media and get a real return from your investment. 100th Monkey Media is far more affordable than you may think, and we make it easy and impactful. Learn how 100th Monkey Media can help you on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and more. Contact us at 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. That's 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. And we're back with T.R. Kidder. So it is question time. Are you ready? I guess you, so. All right, here <laughs> we go. Like it or not, no, it's, I'm, I'm telling you, you will have fun with this. Um, is there a particular view, myth, or idea that people today have about the ancient peoples that just sort of irks you a bit? Wow. That we're like off base. Well, I, I think one of the one of the ones, and I'm not sure it irks me, but I, I find it fascinating, is that we tend to think that somehow we're unique, and that our experiences are different from those in the human past. Right. And 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 in fact, there are there are clear differences in in many regards. But basically, at our core, we are still the same human beings that sort of clawed their way out of the mud and the muck. They're the same, you know, the same issues that happened, say, two thousand years ago in 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 imperial China are still problems that resonate today. And this kind of uh, some people call it presentism. This sort of notion that we can't, that that we're so different that 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 we're exempt from the sort of rules and processes that happened in human history is it, it it's just wrong. And and in that sense, it it yeah, I guess it does bother me sometimes. That's interesting though. Presentism, I love that. So it's like it's it, we're we're awesome because we're in the present and right. we're dealing with this. You guys never had to. Right, and exactly. Like, we sort of did. Right. Yeah. And, and it goes to this <laughs> Why do you issue think you're of, here today? <laughs> right, it's getting to this issue of you know can we learn from the past and and there's this sort of obstinance that the past somehow doesn't have a, a kind of instructive quality. Right. Ooh. See, that was an awesome answer. So, okay, you're playing in the dirt. You talked about playing in the dirt. Yeah. Have you ever found anything that was so surprising? Like, what's your favorite thing you came across or saw or felt or anything? You were like, whoa. Right. So, so unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I um, it's not like I get to dig up gold and, you know, <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones-like stuff. Right. Um, the, the stuff I tend to work with is much more prosaic. But I'll tell you, there, there are two experiences that I had that were really... 
for me, very electric. One was working in northeast Louisiana. I was excavating a site from about 3,000 years ago, so about 1,000 B.C., and and I excavated a, a simple piece of, of fired clay that they had shaped to, um, uh, to a particular form, and you could see the fingerprints and the, the, the lifelines of the person's palm. Oh and gosh. in that moment, I was touching a person over 3,000 years in the past. Oh. And it was, it was just like, wow, I'm really making a connection. This isn't this kind of weird abstraction. It, 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 it was a real human to real human connection. And in the same vein, working in a site called Sanyangzhuang in China, it was buried by a massive flood around 2,000 years ago. And when we excavated it, we were excavating human foot prints and this was the the this person was gathering the last of the food as the floodwaters rose the w- ground was all muddy and you could see she or he had sort of been splashing around clearly trying to get food out of this field and again you could see the 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 the, the footprints you could see the texture of the person's uh, foot and you could really feel that human connection and you could feel that sort of I don't know, there was a terror and a fear because you knew that this was like right. the last thing this person was doing as this massive and calamitous flood was bearing down on him or her. And and in that sense, it, it it's that it's that ability to touch people and feel that the past isn't in fact dead. It's 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 so animated and it's so present and, and it's just this incredible, I don't know privilege to be able to have that opportunity. That is fascinating. How I mean that would that's that's got to leave such an impression. Oh, it's just I, like and and like she could feel almost feel the energy of that human. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I wouldn't mind if I found gold, mind you. But well, yeah, <laughs> gold would be nice, but hey, you exactly. know. That's a far more interesting story. <laughs> In some ways, exactly. So it's a golden story. We there can say go. that. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um okay, so let's just pretend that we're going to do a TV show about you. <laughs> what do you want to call your TV show? Oh, I, mean, I think it'd be so interesting to to run around and have a camera behind you and, and you talking about the things that you've shared with us so far. Well, so do I, but then again, you know, no one's done it. So if you, if you, <laughs> See, if you know anything. Okay, so let's start our TV show. Yeah, what do we want to call what it? What do we want to call it? I, I don't know. You know, um, things like digging for the truth have already been used, so we, we can't use that. I don't know. I grew up in Connecticut, so Connecticut Kidder digs holes. <laughs> Connecticut <don't>, Kidder. <laughs> that could be your nickname. Yeah, there you go. That's not what my <laughs> wife says. So, you know, um, I, I, I'm not good at things like this. I, I'd have to actually sort of sit down and think about it. Oh, we'll, we'll come up yeah, with you, something. You, but I like – so you're from Connecticut. Well, However, that's where I grew it seems up for that you, 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 you kept migrating south. That mm-hmm. was like – there was something there. Do you have – ancestors from the south or no we're i I, i'm uh, basically a good yankee family i i went to college in in new orleans because i couldn't get into any of the elite universities in the north um and uh moved here to st louis because it was a wonderful job and a great opportunity so you know i've always taken advantage of or just blown the way the winds go i like it that's interesting right exactly I, I call it, you know, the universe taps you on the shoulder and says, go that way. And it's it's very good idea to listen. It is. To and go the way you're told to go because that's you're supposed to be there for some reason. For some reason. And if not, you make it a good reason. I think you've definitely found your reason. <laughs> so did you, I mean, at what point in your life did you always know that 
you were going to do something along these lines? Like, did this start when you were a kid? Were you like, I am going to end up doing this? Yeah. Well, in my case, I'm actually the third generation of professionally trained archaeologists. My grandfather was an early archaeological pioneer. My grandmother actually was a published archaeologist. My uncle was an archaeologist. My great uncle was an archaeologist. You know, my my grandmother wanted me, I think, to become an archaeologist. She, She... she would um, always send me, you know, Time Life series books on the past and things like that. And then when I was 17 years old, I was getting ready to go to college, and she sent me a copy of a book my grandfather had written. And in the flyleaf, she had inscribed some lovely words about how fun it was to do this. And then at the very bottom of it, she writes, I want you to read this book carefully because I know it's going to be important in your coming career. Now, I was 17 years old, and at 17 years old, wine, women, and song were far more my interest than, like, <laughs> academics and stuff. I, you know, I was 17. I didn't know what I wanted to do. My grandmother knew what I wanted to do. Go grandma. <laughs> and, yeah, go grandma. And, and you know, it's, I read that today, and it's like, whoa. That, that's kind of scary. She so know? yeah, so so I, you know, it's osmotic for me. I come from it, and it's another thing is is that also you learn what you can't do. And I was describing in a break, you know, all these jobs that I did that I didn't like, and I started doing archaeological field work, and I fell in love with it. It's just. It's just great. I get to be out in the sun. I get to, to dig in the dirt. I get to find interesting things. I get to do these intellectual puzzles. It's lovely. Now, so I, I, I can only imagine, you know, hanging out with your family and hearing all these stories. But when, if we go to your houses, do you have a little bit more of an interesting collection of items in your house than most people may have? No, actually, I don't, partly because ethically that would be That's a totally no-no. no-no. So you have to give it to but, whoever yeah, oh, yeah, has if, sent you right, to. Right, exactly. If I do a, a, an excavation, you know, if I'm working in China, it stays in China. If I work in Louisiana, it stays at the museum or the university, things like that. So, so where's, so no, the, I don't, I where's don't, the tool with the guys? Oh, that's in. Uh, that's actually at Harvard University because I was a graduate school there, okay. a graduate student there. So, yeah. So they're, they're, they're buried away in little places. But no, I don't. I mean, I, I have a couple of things from my grandfather, but that's it. Okay. Well, what was the name of their books? Well, well, there's the exotic one is like um, uh, excavations at Kamanahuyu, Guatemala. <laughs> I haven't read it. Yeah, I don't know why. It was a bestseller, you know. Um, uh, you know, archaeology of the American Southwest, things like that. I mean, it, it, the, the, these were actually big sellers in their day. And my, right. my grandfather particularly was, was really a pioneer, partly because archaeology was a, a new field at that time. So, you know, he oh, was he was a, he was cool. a big deal. Yeah. Wow, what a cool thing to run in the family. Yeah, it I is. I love it. Well, TR Kidder, this has just been enlightening and fascinating and thank you so much for sharing all this great information with us. Well, it's my pleasure, Mitch. Thank you for inviting me. I I've really had a great time. And so obviously, I'm going to recommend that everybody come to the Bounce event on December 10th to hear his talk. I can't wait. I can't wait. It'll be like a continuance of our conversation. Can't wait to hear what you're going to share with us that day. And in the meantime, please go to iTunes and look up Mishmash, M-I-C-H-M-A-S-H, and subscribe to our show. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. See you next time. <laughs>